evening once more. Thank you for choosing to spend another Tuesday evening with me. I believe everybody is doing well and uh, it's okay. So last week was an interesting one as well. I think last week's session was session 11. It was about Jeff Bezos and uh, Michael Mankwa, Amazon.com and uh, Gadamart. And uh, there was a lot we, we learned from, from that. And I got a lot of feedback uh, on, on that one as well. I think some of the highlights were uh, where one was about to, where I was able to actually leverage my social network and pull people together to help in, you know, pulling off Ghana Mart. Basically, you know, having friends who would help me with even coming up with a name, uh, help me with uh, the, the UI, the design, as well as the technical assistance behind the scenes and, you know, all the other pieces that uh, came together. So as you can tell from all the sessions, you know, I keep learning, I keep learning, I keep learning, and I keep trying to implement things I have learned. So in, in when we did session 10, which was my working home, I learned a lot of things today, you know, regarding leveraging one social network. So now when it came to uh, Ghana Mart, I, I tried to implement some of the things I had learned. So I, I, I actually saw a lot of improvement from, you know, my working home to uh, Ghana Mart. Today's session, really, it's entitled The Media Tycoon. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one as well. And, uh, sometime in 2004, uh, I was wondering and pondering my next move after I had done my Rockingham and Ghana Mart. And I knew that 2005 would be my exit you know, uh, year because I had gone to America in 1995. I wanted to leave after 10 years, so 1995 to, 20, uh, to 2005 would be 10 years. So now I was thinking about what I was going to do, whether I was going to extend it, I was going to stay, or I was going to come back home. So I was a bit, you know, torn between what I was going to do. So by the same time, too, I've always had this uh, feeling of being inadequate in terms of not going to one of the top MBA schools in the world. And at that time, you had... University of Pennsylvania, the Watson Business School as number one. You had Harvard and you had Stanford. So I've always wanted to attend one of those just for shaky reasons. And, you know, most importantly, also build my network because I didn't really build serious network for my undergrad, for my master's at Hopkins as well. So I had at the back of my mind that if I had a chance to go to any of those top three business schools, I would do what? I build my network from there because at that point, I've really, I really understood the value of network. You know, not sp to speak of, you know, whatever I will learn as well. So I had a friend who had attended Wharton. I told him, look, I wanted to check out, you know, Wharton to see how, you know, what the place is like and, you know, get a feel for it. So he arranged for me to go to Wharton to sit in one or two classes. And I remember so well, I sat in one of the classes and they were dissecting, discussing a uh, business case. And when I sat in that class, the energy... The, the, the power, you, you, there's, the, there's this, I don't even know how to describe it. You could just feel you're in paradise, you're in heaven. Because the class, typically, you know, number one business school is where all the sharks, all the super, super smart guys who want to be somebody, who are rich, who have a purpose and stuff like that, want to go to. So sometimes you may have about 10,000 people applying to, uh, you know, an MBA program, and maybe 800, 600, or 1,000 are taken. So it's extremely competitive. So when I sat in that class, and the guys were just discussing the business cases, even their perspectives, their angles from which we're coming from, 
I was like, this is insane. And I just sat in the class and I was just smiling and in awe. I was just smiling and I was excited. I was like, how do I get in here? At the same time, too, I had a belief that I had come far from failing my whole levels all the way to where I had gotten to. I had built a good story along the line. Uh, all that was, all that I had to overcome was getting, you know, a good GMAT uh, score to be able to get into it. So, but whilst, you know, going through that and wanting to do that, at the same time, too, I wanted to do a PhD. I wanted to do a PhD either in philosophy or something like that. And I was like, no, I mean, I'm not going to go into academia. I'm not going to, you know, uh, do research. So there's no need for PhD. So even though I had fancied, fancied uh, Dr. Mankwa name, it wasn't really, it, would, it wasn't that heavy. So I decided to ignore that one. But when I thought about the MBA program, I also said to myself, you know what? This program's always going to be there, and worst case, I could always come back and do an executive, you know, MBA, and then, you know, fulfill that dream that I had as well. So, whilst I was pondering all of that, I kept on, you know, going to the, the bookstore, always researching and reading, stuff like that. But I remember one time I was watching TV, and I was watching BET, uh, BET that's Black Entertainment Television, founded by Robert Johnson, the first African-American billionaire in the U.S., and I, I, you know, it dawned on me that there was only one channel, which was BET, which was for black people in America. But at the same time, too, the African population was growing, the, uh, the Caribbean population was growing. So I said to myself, okay, what if I set up a channel to cater for Africans in the diaspora in America, and then also the Caribbean. So we'll have a channel which will, you know, cater for that demographic. So you had BT for the African Americans, then you had one for uh, the Africans in the Caribbean, right? So I started reading about the media industry. So I read about John Malone, you know, Cable Cowboy. I read about Ted Turner, I read about Murdoch. So I read about all of these guys. You know, how did they get started? What was their background? You know, how did they, you know, build the, the big, big, you know, media empire they did, you know, through acquisitions, you know, what the strategy, all the strategies that they employed. So I read about it and I was very, very pumped and fired up. So I said, no, what? Okay, let me, let me just explore and see how far I could get with, you know, this media thing. At that point, for me, really, it was about learning as well. So as much as I was reading and researching, then I kicked it into gear. So the first thing that I wanted to do was one, have an online media presence whereby folks, you know, either in, you know, anywhere in the world could listen to an online radio, you know, station. Uh, we, I call it Mac uh, Media, uh, Michael Mankwa, and then the AG, I forgot what it stood for, Media. I got guys in Ghana, Nigeria, and then, a, you know, a guy in London to give me, you know, like music. Some of them would DJ, you know, based on the time slot set. I got the technology from a guy in, in, in Spain. Uh, he gave me a license, sorted me out. I implemented that. So Mac Media Online was you know was, was was running where folks could come online and then listen to music primarily and then also uh, you know just jam and entertain themselves. And this was about 2004. So then the next one was how do I get my channel? And the options were basically cable, which was Comcast or Cox, yeah, or Dish TV or Direct TV. So I started researching, I started making phone calls. That was when I realized I had no network. No matter where I went, 
no matter who I called, I just couldn't find anybody who could lead me to how to get a channel on any of the, the networks, as well as even Satellite Dish. So, as most people know by now, I'm always pushing, I'm always looking, I'm always seeking. So then I was like, you know what, okay, what if I came out, I develop a set-top box. A set-top box is like a little, it's like DSTD, but in there you have your hard drive. So I said, look, what if you know, I got a set-top box, put it in a hard drive, then, you know, put a media player on top of it, and then, you know, let folks, and then let that set-top box automatically download content, and then, you know, from time to time we refresh the content. So all the, the, the content is going to be, you know, let's call it in the cloud and then folks can download it and then we keep on refreshing. So I started researching into that. I researched, I got contacts in Taiwan, in China, in Australia to help with, you know, the design and how to implement. So I did all of that. I got a small lab set up in my, in my apartment at the time to test it. But so technically I figured, you know, I could do that. What I didn't think about was, okay, how was I going to fund it? How was I going to grow it? But, the, but at that point, what I wanted to do was just test the concept. But the bigger challenge was, where was I going to get the content for the video channel, okay, the TV channel? So then you have primarily Nigerian movies where, you know, were, were becoming very popular. You had the Ghanaian ones. And then I had, you know, a good friend who had access to the Caribbean market as well. So I decided to test um, the African market first because that's where I had access to. But luckily for me, there was a guy in London who also has studied BE and B and TV. So I, I, you know, I looked for him, went to London, flew from America, went to London, looked for him. They sat down and I told him what I was trying to do. And he actually agreed to give me a lot of content. That was my first serious business negotiation. Okay. So even though I had done Ghana Mart, coming to Ghana to do Nestle, Unilever and stuff like that, this one was different because now I was actually dealing on a different level. So I was able to negotiate in such a way that, look, the guy was willing to support me across board. So the content was there. It wasn't an issue. So I was very excited about that. Came back to America, you know, kept on researching, kept on planning. But it don't mean that, look, the kind of money I would need to pull it off was going to be insane. It's going to be insane. The network that I needed to support me was not there. Okay, it was not there. But the lessons I learned from conceiving the idea to uh, trying to come up with a prototype, negotiating content was priceless. And all of these lessons were things that will aid my coming back to Africa and the things I do thereafter. So in life, a lot of times we do things and they may not get far, but there are lessons buried in all of them. And those things largely are buried in your subconscious. And secondly, not only are they buried in your subconscious, but you have to take time to actually ponder and reflect over those periods so that you can learn the lessons from there. Okay? Because for me, it was all about progression. It was all about self-improvement. It was all about look, how do I keep moving from A to B to C to D. You know? So I knew that so far as I kept going, I was going to hit it somewhere. And seeing that Bob Johnson had done it, I knew that I could equally do it as well because... He's a brother. Yes, he's an American. He grew up there. The quarters different. He had a network and things like that. He got his good wife, you know, Sheila Johnson at the time to actually help uh, him. 
And in 2012, actually, I got to meet Sheila Johnson in Gabon. Really nice, solid, solid woman. And, uh, you know, we chatted a bit about how they did it, their history and stuff like that. And it was good. But going back to the lesson I was talking about. So in life, largely, you're going to find yourself doing things that you may think, oh, I tried it, I didn't get far, I'm a failure, you know, I've lost whatever it is. No, 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 no. There are lessons that two years, three years, five years, ten years, you are going to leverage because it's at the back of your mind somewhere. And it's even better when you are able to what? Process it, you know, break it down and then compartmentalize it in your mind and store it somewhere so that, you know, anytime you need to tap into it, you can tap into it, okay? So as much as I wanted to become a media tycoon, you know, I realized that, okay, either I had to stay long in America, which I wasn't willing to do because I had given myself 10 years and I wanted to come back home and then continue my journey, right? So now I had to give up on going to either Harvard, Stanford or, or Wharton and then also not doing, you know, my media idea that I had. So at that point, I had to start thinking about what was I going to do when I was going to come back to Ghana. I couldn't just come back to Ghana, you know, with my 10 fingers. So I kept on thinking, I kept on thinking. But anytime I went to the gas station, I went to the fuel station to buy fuel or gas, you know, as gas in America, you know, go to buy fuel. There's nobody at the, 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 the pump, okay? So it's self-serve. So you, you know, you put in your card, you punch in your pen, punch in the amount you want to buy, and then, you know, you fill your tank, and then you walk away, you take your receipt, and then you walk away. So it dawned on me that this is pretty slick. This is interesting that I can actually buy for and nobody is there to take the money. Nobody's watching it for me. Of course, there are cameras and stuff there like that, but nobody served me. So I was like, this technology is going to work in Africa. So at that point, I didn't know anything about transaction processing, payment systems, and things like that. Okay, so I'll call home and I'll ask a few friends. Charlie, when you go to the fuel station, how are you to get your gas, man? What's the process? Are you able to buy things at the pump without using, you know, uh, you know, without using cash and just using a card? They're like, no, 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 you can't do that. So then as I was researching, then I realized that, okay, not only can you do it at the pump, you also have, you know, point of sale, you also have ATM. So that space is what we call payment systems transaction processing, okay? So I was totally new to that. But remember that when I went to, JMU in 1995, I think my freshman year, or yeah, my freshman year, I talked about how, you know, the first time I saw a computer, you know, went online with it, and I was chatting with a friend in Atlanta, yeah, in Spelman. I was intrigued, I was marveled by it. So the same feeling, the same experience had come back to me, you know, many years down the line. So I was, I was, mesmerized, I was curious about, okay, how does this payment system work? What are the components? So I started researching. So then I started learning about ATMs, okay? I started learning about the EFT switch, and EFT stands for electronic fund transfer switch. Then I started learning about HSM, the whole switch module, okay? Started learning about you know, the max stripe, and then the chip, you know, the chip which is the ICC uh, component which now everybody uses because back then it was max stripe, right? So I started learning about all of these things. Now I had to look, I had to figure out how do you tie it together and how is this going to work in Ghana? Then after that, I will scale across Africa. Okay. So I started spending time. I started reading and learning about it. 
then I found out that there were three key big players in the ATM business, which was NCR, which was in Ohio, Debold was in Ohio, and then uh, Nixdorf, okay, Rinko Nixdorf was also in, uh, in Germany. Okay, so now I had to figure out, okay, what are the models, their distribution models? So NCR, for example, will always set up their own shop in countries where they have a presence. Debold did more of distributors, agents, okay? Then you had Winco. I think Winco also did distributors and agents, okay? And I'm talking, NCR has been around for like more than 100 years. Debold has also been around for a very long time. They started with, you know, safes and then migrated and stuff like that. So, in thinking about all of this, I was like, okay, how do I take all the lessons I had learned and break it back home to Ghana and then Africa? So when I kept on doing the research, I found out that, look, now Ghana was trying to actually set up a national switch. So then the race was on. I also found out that, you know, there was a guy who was also veering to that space and was way advanced because he was in Ghana and he was actually a bright guy. Then I also found out that my good friend Paul Jacque Clystone was way ahead because he had already he had things on the ground. So the race was on. And this was a space that I knew nothing about. Now the next thing was the business model. Am I gonna come and just push boxes? Am I gonna come and just sell the components individually? How do I even know whether there's business for it in Ghana? Then I found out that. NCR had been in Ghana for like since independence, 1957. If you talk ATMs, the next thing people mention is NCR. So just like you want to say photocopy machine, people say Xerox. So I knew that there was a monster on the ground. So the next thing was, how do I enter the market? How do I enter the market? My brothers and sisters. My true journey of coming to Africa started in 2004-2005. I will make about 10 trips in 2005 to Ghana, just talking to banks, talking to the Central Bank, talking to anybody I could talk to that would give me an insight for me to understand what I was going to get into. For the first time, I came up with a solid business plan for Ghana to do transaction processing. I also knew that I needed capital to be able to do that. But the passion that I had, the determination that I had, that look, I wanted to come home and set up a business whereby young folks could come and learn dream, innovate, and dare, and do crazy things, was the one thing that tipped it for me. Coupled with, now I will be home with my loved ones, my family, and my good friends. Now all the things I had learned in America, I was going to bring it to Ghana, in a way that, look, we're going to change Ghana. So I remember so well about last, uh, some last quarter, 2020, I went to visit a friend, and he had another friend there. And my friend I went to visit uh, introduced me. So this Michael from you know of Cornet. The first thing the guy said, "Oh my goodness, the legend, Charlie, you be legend, you be legend." I saw Charlie I said, "No, no, 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 you be legend, man, Charlie. We hear of you, the things you, you've done." 
you know. So if they call it guy, I say, oh, no, 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 we mean, no, we mean. And we talked about it, yeah? So I'm going to be sharing the journey with you coming to Africa, starting Cornet in Ghana. And Cornet name, it's not an ordinary name. It's a name I came up with. Core, meaning the nucleus, the heart, the yoke, okay, of all networks. Meaning that whatever you do in Ghana, electronically or wherever it is, a piece of it should pass through the core net, to pass through our network. So we are the core of all that you do. So I've always dreamt big, wide, deep, broad, all of that. I never wanted something small because it wasn't inspiring. So when you want to do something, dream big. I've always said that. When you want to go to school, go to the best school that you can go to. Because, my brothers and sisters, when I start in that Wharton class, the guys in there are the people who are leading the big companies in the world today. They are the guys in solid, powerful political positions. And even though we say life is not a competition, it is still a competition. My journey back home has been an interesting one. I have learned a lot. I have felt things that I didn't expect to feel. I have felt I have found myself in dark, dark places. I've had a lot of successes. I had the opportunity to travel to so many different African countries. I've had the opportunity to negotiate with all sorts of people all over the world just to have a dream come true. So, my brothers and sisters, never think small. Always think big. Live your dreams and passions. Pursue them. Don't be discouraged. You are all, the road is always going to be bumpy. It's always going to be bumpy. But if it's your true passion, you will even enjoy the bumpy ride. But make sure that when you are enjoying, you are enjoying the bumpy ride, you are sitting in a Range Rover. See, when a Range Rover goes through a pothole, you want it to go through multiple potholes because it's a good feeling. But when you have a small uh, Hyundai accent, Kia, Tico, uh, which one? Uh, Matisse, fall into a pothole. The feeling is different. So always strive to get the best things in life. So next week is going to be coming to Africa and the real story starts. The assumptions I made, how off they were and why they were off. Okay? So until we meet again next week, please keep safe. Thank you for watching, and let's continue being good people. Thank you so much, and uh, catch you next week. Bye-bye.